And now, the starting lineup for your... Gangsters, what's up, guys? I'm a slacker. MV. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. What the hell is going on out here? Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my co-hosts, Evan Fagundis. Hey. And back from World War One to rob and murder an entire family of Native Americans, it's JT Chipman. Oh, I sure do love that money, sir. I sure <laughs> do love it. This week, we are talking about the new Martin Scorsese movie, The Killers of the Flower Moon. But before we get into that, gentlemen, how are we doing? Chip. My friend, uh, bad beat for you. You got a nasty uncle, but uh, happy that you could make it on the pod from your your prison cell. Who among us doesn't have the the nasty uncle that we don't want to talk about? I'm doing very well. Uh, great, great week of movies. I uh, got a chance not only to see Killers of the Flower Moon, but got to see the the killer in theaters. So mm. killing is just everywhere right now on You're the big screen. It. And they're killing it. I couldn't be happy about it. And also, we are recording this just hours after SAG AFTRA appears to have struck a deal, which is very exciting. The writers are back, the actors appear to be back, and it seems like uh, both groups have really won a lot of great concessions for their crews and for their union. And that that makes me really happy and excited about movies. So, Evan, what's new with you? Um, very similarly, saw Killers of the Flower Moon and The Killer here over the last couple of weeks, and it's made it very confusing for the people in my life who aren't nerdily obsessed with movies the way I am and the way we are um, because when I reference things like The Killer you know you have to see it in theaters it won't be there very long um, people are getting very confused about you know Killers of the Flower Moon being shortened to, to Killers which I've heard a lot of people say um, The Killer David Fincher's new movie being referenced but overall um, doing well looking forward to uh, to the holidays here um, seeing some family and stuff I think we have some fun stuff upcoming but a um, lot to look forward to including this conversation jed how are you doing and i'm excited uh to i'm i'm good uh i'm excited to talk about this movie uh i also am coming back off of the high of taking my children to disneyland for the first time um let me tell you what man as jaded as we can be about a lot of the art that uh that that company produces the mouse the mouse is a friend of mine uh whenever i get on property <laughs> i really i really enjoy myself uh and get swept up and seeing uh seeing disneyland through a child's eyes made me like want to have 10 more children just so i could like relive that again like the pure dopamine hit of watching my daughter like literally levitate when she got to meet ariel and bell and snow white was uh worth every of the many pennies uh that the walt disney corporation charged me uh for admission uh we, we were only supposed to go one day and i actually flipped it into a second day because we had so much fun and anna and elsa you know the frozen gang was over in california adventure so i i, I would not let my my daughters be denied uh and then off the back of that got home and saw killers of the flower moon the next day and i was like hell yeah baby we're back uh i was just i've been entertained to say the least uh guys i gotta say something martin scorsese um has he ever not had it that's the question i want to ask because like i kind of walked out of this movie being like guy can't lose just impeccable i mean that's that is the takeaway i'm glad you started there he the answer to your question is no he has never not had it um it's so funny to hear about people sort of try to draw out like 
the down areas in Marty's career. And you list off a bunch of movies that I absolutely love, you know, and I think you guys love as well. You know, people talk about, you know, the 80s and it's like Color of Money would be the best movie that almost anyone else has made in their career. And that's Color like when Money like, wins best oh, picture this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like, oh, he's like, you know, taking paycheck jobs and like just doing random scripts. It's it's unbelievable. Um, and he continues to to churn out not just great work here in his more advanced age, um, but it does feel like essential. Uh, and I feel like that's something that's really exciting. It feels like these stories are stories that one, you have to build to uh, uh, build up to in order to tell correctly um, and to feel like stuff that he is still trying to get off his chest um, about his, you know, overall lifetime project, um, you know, telling the story of like the the underbelly of America. Um, and I don't know, it just it, it never feels old. It never feels like like he gets stale at all. So my answer would be no. I'm curious to hear what it, you guys think. It, it is always evolving, Evan. I think you're absolutely right. When you look at silence the Irishman and Killers of the Flower Moon. There's, man, I, I just feel like Scorsese has a very like heavy heart, and then he really mm-hmm. wants to kind of unburden himself of in a lot of different ways. Whether it is a movie like Silence, where directly his relationship with with God is in center stage, or movies like The Irishman, where it's about death, Killers of the Flower Moon, where it's about death in America, and it's about I think at the end of the movie, you find that it's about his role as a director of the entertainment of death in America, right? Um, so it's it's amazing to see him not grow stale and not – maybe you can find a couple of the same tropes and, you know, some of the same camera movements that we love and some of the same uh, character beats that we might love. But there's – there is a absolute maturity to Scorsese's most recent work um, that – I'm just so privileged to be able to watch like we just this this is so crazy to be able to have such a a, a broad spanning career that there wasn't there was never like really a lot of time off either. You know, it's not as if he took 10 years off or or faked a retirement. He has always been working 40, 50 years. And to just be able to see a director's worldview evolve over that time and continue to evolve in real time as the world is evolving around him is just so special. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Chip, is like all of his most recent movies feel very modern in a way that is so different than things that were he was releasing 10 years ago, but still so essentially Marty. Right. Um, just how his he, he's got these different eras now. And what I love is that I feel like each era is really like telling a story and like communicating something about where he's at in his life. Um, I, I think. You can I don't necessarily want to say like you can find him in his characters because obviously he's he's I don't necessarily think he uh, he fashions himself, a, you know, a criminal. Um, but you can find himself in the themes that these like awful people are are going through. And I think that that is what I find so special is I'm a big fan of just art in general where people are able to be personal and communicate that level of of um like vulnerability without it coming off as like uh overly self-aware right that's what i think we loved about uh fablemans right is it was just like this incredibly personal story but in done in a way that was like so raw 
that it was still left things up for interpretation. And I think Marty like taps into that, not quite as like on the nose, but he definitely taps into that. Like you get you get ideas about his psychology from things like the Irishman, from things like Killers of the Flower Moon. And it, it's really cool to just see how that has aged with him and how he has stayed uh, so modern. Uh, speaking of other people whose careers have spanned uh, that are also in this movie. Is this top five Robert De Niro ever? I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know how you even begin to litigate that top five question that that Mount Rushmore question with De Niro or Scorsese or DiCaprio. Um, I would there's so many hot takes that you can probably field from this movie. I feel like I. I, I almost feel an obligation to wait to deliver the most scorching of hot takes for where this needs to end up um, because it feels so monumental and it does feel in this end period that it deserves to be sat with for a little bit longer. But it would be hard to argue that it isn't one of his best uh, in terms of De Niro and, and Scorsese, to be honest, not to betray my feelings about the movie and the performance already, but they're both um, defining, I think. Evan, more interesting question for you. Who was better in the movie, Leo or Bob De Niro? Oh, man. That's so difficult. That's so difficult. I I almost want to say Leo because um, I, one, he, he carries such a large portion of this movie. And I think almost after the first watch, I didn't quite realize how much of the movie he really is in. Um but also he just is doing more and maybe it's that, you know, maybe I, I'm, I'm kind of clouded by the like he's doing more acting. It feels like Robert De Niro can roll out of bed, bed and be like a uh, like a smiley demon. You know, it feels like he's like been able to do that for ever whenever he wants to turn that on. And like that that like hellfire that burns behind his eyes that, that is in this movie feels like it's there all the time. He's almost having to like tamp that down. For other roles um but leo is just like transformative in this movie and and it, it's funny because robert de niro has gotten credit for for similar sort of things um you know earlier in his career being very transformative but i i, de I, I will say that i walk away from the movie just like in awe of what leo was up to I, I know i said i'm not supposed to give a hot take but here is here is my answer to that question Love so it. i think that De Niro maybe has the better performance in this movie. There's a DiCaprio scene that might be the best thing DiCaprio's ever done. And we'll get to it. I won't spoil it now, but there's there's a scene of DiCaprio where I'm like, I've just never seen you do that before. And I don't know how any human being could ever give that 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 scene, that performance that he did. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to it. Can't wait to hear that. Uh, there's a lot of other performances in this movie that are spectacular. So uh, us not talking about them now is not uh, glossing over them we will get to them but we've kind of danced around it guys what did you think about this movie like what like uh, just w without reservation i absolutely love this movie i mean like truly walked out the first time was was blown away by it and by the time i got to the final 15 minutes of my second watch of this movie in theaters i i almost didn't even think i was gonna like be able to make it through the movie i was just literally destroyed and and not that you know 
a movie making me feel something, uh, you know, strong um, emotionally, especially like sadness or, or like, you know, crying or like tearing up or something is automatically a sign that it's a great movie. But it really did affect me. And I, I do think that the weight of the three hours and 28 minutes or whatever it was is like almost all perfect through and through it is paced amazingly i i really did love it so oh go ahead chip i I was just gonna say i completely agree that the second watch i was almost more spellbound than the first which doesn't even quite make sense but i was somehow more emotionally i think i think blown away um knowing where it was going and understanding the decisions these characters were making and where it was going to lead and almost bracing myself for that to for to feel that impact a second time was Oh God, it was it was brutal, but it's so well done. Mm-hmm. So the thing that really has been ringing in my ears, and this is gonna sound like a little bit cheesy, but that the phrase like "life comes at you fast" is like to me what this movie like completely epitomizes. Because I was sitting there for the first, I mean, really hour and forty five minutes of this movie, and I was like man like there's a lot of really like amazing sequences amazing scenes i was like but it is in a way kind of meandering along and then all of a sudden it takes off like a fucking bullet train and like shit really starts to hit the fan like things were happening uh but in a way that i felt like the pace was like very methodical and steady and then basically once jesse Plemons' character shows up it's like whoa like everything is just like boom 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 like things happen so quickly that that methodical speed at what it was moving like at which it was moving uh is completely like the rug is ripped out from underneath you and you are like what i almost feel like left with the weight of everything that you've been watching so much uh more dramatically than if the entire movie was moving at that breakneck pace if that makes sense do you do you guys agree that's so interesting. I almost have the exact, almost the, an opposite. Like I almost had an opposite feeling watching this movie. You thought like, it was moving really quickly through the beginning and then just like slowed down at the end. I I kind of did. Like I'm not saying each individual scene. Like there are long scenes, right? Like the first yeah. meeting between Ernest and his uncle is like a 12 minute dialogue scene. Um, so I'm not saying like each. You know, it's it's not like montagey the way you know the beginning of casino or a movie like that is um but it does feel like it's flying where it's like oh you're meeting people oh we're getting married you're meeting friends like people are having conversations that you're almost kind of having to catch up with um and then by the time we got to Plemons at a certain point I was almost like like the investigation almost seemed to take longer than it should have because I'm just like what the fuck are you guys looking at? Like it, they are, te- they have told everyone in town what they're doing. And we're like me, like for, to me, they were like, just like wandering around, like having half conversations with people. And I'm just like, what, what is taking so long to actually make this happen? Not in a bad way in the movie's uh, perspective, but almost more of just like me being frustrated at the characters. Um, but you, yeah, you I mean, I think are it's critical of, of American law enforcement. Is that what I'm hearing? I, first I think, time, uh, first time I've ever heard, heard that from you. I know Jay Edgar was sending his best, but uh, and I think I think the boys were giving it a a, a good run, I guess. But um, we're also not in, you know, they were there on orders, right? Like I, I don't know how emotional it was for for most of those guys, and you could kind of feel that in the way that they're going about the work, even though they did end up getting it done. Yeah, I do I guess... love that we got offhanded mentions of both J. Edgar Hoover and John F. Kennedy in we separate did. historical epics from the summer. Yes. 
Um, I, I think like what I, more what I was what I'm getting at is like when I and I I think it's really interesting that we had like almost opposite reads of the pacing of the movie because I get what you're saying is like we do cover a lot of ground in that first hour 45 mm-hmm. like we cover like a long stretch of like a span of time yeah but i i'm more i'm more like thinking about like the like the internal emotional roller coaster like specifically of the Ernest character like how it felt like he's kind of just on this like steady upward trajectory like there are things that are happening like and like negative decisions that he has to make um and like things that are negatively affecting his life but he doesn't necessarily get to feel the weight of those until one person like shows up on screen and then it feels like shit hits the fan for him really fast and i don't know what that means about us like in the way that we're like consuming this and i don't know if maybe i would feel differently if i'd watched it a second time like you had i've only seen it the once um but yeah there was definitely this like hold on to your you know large hat large 10 gallon cowboy hat uh you know once the fbi are involved um chip what did you what was your read on the the way it was paced it's a movie where individual scenes can feel very long and very patient and then you look at your watch and you're like how has it been two and a half hours i feel like i just sat Mm -hmm. down and that's that's a paradox right that's a contradiction that I almost feel like other Scorsese movies don't do or don't really have an interest in doing Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, you know, movies that are very uh, far apart in in terms of years when they were made. Both of those movies are at breakneck speed, Mm -hmm. intentionally so. And the way that they're edited is meant to make you feel like you are uh, experiencing the, frankly, the drug use of our protagonists in those movies. Whereas in this movie, it is a, a slow demise in the same way that the Osage are being slowly strangled out of their head rights, of their lives, left and right, you know, frankly, dropping like flies. Um, it does take its time with the individual moments. You look at like the scene where Ernest and Molly have dinner together for the first time and the storm comes on. Right. That scene is it's a beautiful scene. And there's there's no rush in those conversations but at the same time, you you blink and it's over because you are so wrapped up in it. And that's I almost think that's the the greatness of what Thomas Schoonmaker was doing with his editing is understanding just so like you don't have to cut away from this conversation for it to move fast and for you to get wrapped up in it. Right. Um, less less is more, I think, in this case, in terms of the quick editing that we're used to. So I think you guys are both right, to be honest, not to shoot the middle. But I think I think I got to shoot the middle here. All right. Um we've kind of danced been kind of dancing around some moments uh let's start talking about some moments that we love we're gonna do this slightly differently we're gonna try to do it in as chronological of an order as we can because there are frankly just so many amazing moments and this is a three and a half hour epic um so evan kick us off what was one of your favorite moments from like early on early on um I mean, let's start with the opening scene, like like watching the um, um, like Osage ceremony and and the burying of what, like the hatchets, the knives, the, yeah. knives, the knives. Yeah, the flute. Um, I, it was like one of them was a flute. I can't remember which there's a couple burying sequences. Yeah, it, it was just really. I, I don't know. It, it, it's not how I was expecting the movie to open at all. And I just thought it was so cool how we were opening like with these people it it made it 
just so um, apparent to me that like our emotional ties are going to be with this group of people as we go through this movie, whether or not they're the main characters or the in the center of the screen the entire movie, like my heart was tied to them. And just overall, I, I loved how much attention Scorsese paid to recognizing these traditions and like showing the way that the Osage would like meet and commune. Um, and I felt like it just really very quickly I understood. And I feel like he kind of in a way we've talked about this Catholicism with him, like he might not know exactly what they're doing or, or why why they do it outside of reading about it, but I feel like he can understand the the communal aspect and and how tight this group was. I, I love that opening so much. It just really like it almost kind of caught me off guard. Just all of his B-roll stage like world building was like fucking incredible in this movie. Like the, the all the train pulling up. Oh, and people getting off, you know, like everything, everything about like all the flashback photos, you know, anytime they took a photo and it would snap to, um, you know, to an, like an old black and white photo, like just all of that was so pitch perfect throughout the entire film. And it was just like you really felt this slice of America, American history that at least for me was like pretty unknown. And this is somebody that like, you know, loved, especially, you know, when I was, you know, in school, like American history was my favorite subject. Um, and so I thought it was just, that was like, for me, what stood out at the beginning was just like how bought in I was from go because this of, movie like, felt like going to school in some of the best ways possible. Yeah. Um, in particular, some scenes later on, I think with with the Osage and when Marty just turns the camera on the Osage leaders and lets them cook. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like I'm watching a historical document or I feel like I am being or, or I'm in a lecture in a lecture hall listening to you know someone who was actually there. And it's still wildly entertaining and completely works as part of a movie and not part of some historical text. Right. It, it exists as a movie on its own terms while still being very educational. Yeah. And it's populated by people who haven't been in movies, you know, like obviously Lily Gladstone, whose name we somehow haven't mentioned um, my hot take the the best performance in the in the movie for me, like Minnie and, and Rita and Anna, her sisters, her three sisters, all have only been in this movie. And and, uh, and I'm sure it was similar for some of the other uh, like Osage, you know, like uh, uh, leadership. I mean, those are such like profound faces and voices that it was just fascinating it felt it felt like it was historical because i'd never seen these people before like it's not like i'm like oh yeah they were the you know guy in guardians of the galaxy and like i'm glad that they're getting their shot here to like you know not wear um you know like a cgi costume or something like that you know there was like none of that it's like um it's like they were found to to play these roles. But yeah, great stuff. The train was great, Jed. You you mentioned that. I mean, that would be the next one. Like the helicopter shot coming into the train and uh and him getting off and just Im immediately just loving this place. Just seeing a fight and just being all all fucking in. And that's yeah. just Scorsese being like, Hey, it's me again, just so you know, I'm still directing yeah. this movie. Um, you're not we won't do a whole lot of this, but I'm still here. I can still do it. Yeah. And the awesome. music just 
pounded in. What did you guys think when they were playing like Jed, you might have to speak on this a little bit. I have never heard music like that in my life. Like them playing the like I don't snare drums or whatever they were playing and then like mixing in like heavy metal almost like rock guitars. Yeah, it was scored early on. It was just scored throughout in again in such like a modern way but like mixing in these elements yeah it was interesting like it was just i I was struggling to like put into words like the score just was like fit so well but somehow felt like it was the thing that was like pushing modernity the most in the in the film if that makes sense um yeah 100 and, and i think it was just a really I don't know. They were rock guitars. There was something about it that was almost this like subtle, like these people are heavy metal. Like, you know, the Osage people are like the like just like that is what it it like kind of stood out to me was all that. But it was just all of like the the native music and kind of that use of like those drums are very like very much like native associated, you know, a lot of a lot of um Native American music and uh and african music have like similar like it's much more about like rhythmic instruments than it is about melodic instruments so like in western music right you folk you think more of like the violin the piano the guitar these are uh, instruments that produce melody uh where like when you look at more eastern music like african music south america and then obviously native american being in that it's a lot more rhythmic driven right there's a lot more complex polyrhythms happening basically meaning multiple rhythms happening at once versus a rhythm and a melody over the top of it and so Mm -hmm. just the use of that for me it always ratchets up like tension and this like feeling of uncertainty because those are things that we are not as familiar with and as exposed to um in our culture because we're so used to like one specific type of music. It's the same reason that when you hear like a sitar, when you hear like um, kind of those dissonant uh, Middle Eastern uh, instruments, they use a lot of different semitones and and things that don't happen in in Western music. It, it creates this sense of unease for us because it's something that we're just so not used to. Um, and what I thought he did a really good job of was using that for both like like positive emotional effect and negative emotional effect right he uses that those um like he uses that score in like a, a happy way in a lot of in a lot of moments and also in a very heavy way and so i think basically long long way around what i think he does really well is he uses this kind of uh unfamiliar score but he's somehow able to attach like familiarity of emotion to it right so we never like when the drums are going you know when it means good and you know when it means bad in the same way that you would listening to like a giant you know sweeping violin from like a more traditional john williams score right you know a minor dissonant chord it's harder to tell that in those types of uh, in this type of music and i felt like that was communicated really well to the audience sorry that was very long-winded no, no, it's perfect. That was a great it's, explanation. It's just, it, I just do I, – I love when a composer and a director and a cinematographer and an editor like clearly have the same vision and are able yeah. to use those drums in different ways and to use those those melodies and rhythms 
even if they are um, structurally similar, but to communicate different emotions depending on what is going on in the scene. It's all working together of a piece, you know. It's it's this vast tapestry that all these creative people have worked together to uh, create the correct emotional response from. Um, and it's just, it, it's it's amazing to see. Yeah, and yeah. the score was done by Robbie Robertson, I believe. Yes. Um, which is, which is Rest really- in peace. Yeah, rest yeah, in rest in peace. It was really interesting because, uh, obviously, kind of being a rock musician, um, he was the lead guitarist for a, a man named Bob Dylan. Do you guys know that? Um, yes. And so I just think it's like interesting that he did that. Clearly, there was a lot of Osage involvement in the musical side of things, as there was like in Marty consulting the Osage people, um, you know, for a lot of their traditions. But I, I think, like you said, there was just a lot of care taken. And so it seems like they were on the same page, which is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Moving forward. I, I know the next moment, I think like that's really big is, is Ernest meeting his uncle, right? It's our first, yes, our first moment with, with De Niro, that 12 minute scene that you guys talked yes. about. Uh, Chip, I would love to know kind of what was running through your head when this, when this scene happened. Just, these are the most like evil people in the world, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and there it's not subtle either so to talk about the book a little bit um the book really does try to uh book the book has a poker face if you will um hiding the true intentions the true masterminds behind the the plotting and killing of the osh people for their money if you know the ending ahead of time when you read the book you can kind of pick up what's going on but it doesn't really reveal its hand until the end i think it is such a great choice by marty to tell you straight away exactly who these people are Mm -hmm. and to make them pretty unashamed as well. They may justify the, you know, you know, King Hale and Ernest, they may justify their love of money. You know, Hey, their time is over the time of the Osage. They're, they're beautiful people and we love them, but their time is over. It needs to come to us. You know, they may not outright say white people are better than Osage people. Um, but when Ernest says hi to the KKK parade, you you know all you need to know. Um, and, and when they're talking about it at the beginning, you know, how to find a woman and how to get you those head rights, get, the, get those rights and that money. It was such a good choice, I think, for the film to lay down the terms at the very beginning. A- absolutely. And it set up how they'd go throughout the rest of the movie because it's these two guys looking at each other and smiling. So, like, the first time I saw this movie, first I was like, holy shit. Bob De Niro is bringing it, you know, because I was like, I knew he was going to be good. It's a Scorsese movie, but I also haven't necessarily seen him be very good outside of The Irishman in some time. Um, but you're kind of like, oh, wow, this is this seems kind of dark, but they're smiling through all of it. And like, you know, I, I kind of have a feeling of where it's going. The second time I saw it, you are like, oh, I'm watching, like I said before, two demons talk to each other about their plans. And um, they don't outright say it, but they do say a lot of things. And and first, you know, King Hale saying, you don't have to call me sir, you can call me king, is just like one of the funniest lines of the movie. But um, like the, the way he would sort of just offhandedly be like, oh, they're good people, but their time is up. You know, it was just like so matter of fact, the way that they would talk about Basically it's trying fucking, to it's it's like water cooler conversation. It's, it's water but, cooler conversation for them. It's yes. so uh, it's so regular. They talked about the extinction of a people the same way they talked about women, or or the experience of the war. You know, like 
it, exactly like water cooler conversation. It's just catching up, like catching you up on the things that are going on here. Hey, you know, we're trying to commit genocide, trying to take these head rights. Um, you know, are you into women? You know, it's just like there's no there's no break in the conversation to be like, hey, now we're going to talk about the serious thing, which is that like we are sent straight from the devil himself to enact, you know, like uh, um, this uh, this war on on this group of people. Um, yeah, it. I mean, that scene is is unreal. But I, I think part of that, too, is just like so it just kind of speaks to the way they view it. Like or the way that these characters view it, too, because even think about towards the end, like, you know, he's writing letters to the OCS yes. people being like, no one's ever been a better friend. It's like, dude, you literally like are trying to commit genocide against these people. But he, he you know, he takes the they take the, the time to learn the language. Right. They take the time to do all these things that like feign respect and it almost creates this cognitive dissonance around the characters. I think showing that so early on is so brilliant. Um, rather than yeah. like it being much more of like a mysterious in the background plot, like the entire time, you know, who who's doing what and what's happening. And it's just like, God, these people are terrible. Yeah. It's just about waiting to see how they do it. And it turns out very dumbly and openly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Like that initial conversation is pretty much how it, it, that initial conversation seems subtle compared to the conversations that those two men have throughout the rest of the movie with all the other, Dude. you know, idiots uh, in in this town um, who uh, who they're using to enact their crimes. But that's what yeah. I, that was the biggest takeaway for me is like, man, it must have been really easy to just get away with shit back then. Because, uh, you know, he had he had local, you know, local uh, law enforcement in his pocket and. Yeah. The there doctors. was the, there was no such thing as the best the FBI until no. this happened. And yeah. so it's just like it, it's also so sad. I love when Henry's driving Ernest to the house. And and of course, now we've been going about 23 minutes on uh, on the first like seven minutes of the movie. But when Henry's driving into the house, it's so sad to look back at how much pride he has when Ernest says, whose land is this? And he says, my land. You know, like that is that's the whole movie. Right. Because he says that. And then what is the very next shot that we get? Ernest pulling up, hugging King Hale with the camera spinning around them. And it's one of the last times that there's like a really flashy camera move that you're talking about there, Chip. Um, but it's like that that that's not Henry's land, unfortunately, unfortunately for him. Um, but it's like the the technique of the filmmaking confirms that he's wrong, you know, within 30 seconds of him even uttering the line, even though he obviously has this like pride in his heart. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, let's slide into, uh, some, some other moments. Anything that's stuck out to you guys? Um, I mean, there's so many as we meeting Molly. Yeah. 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 Meeting Molly, I think is really the next, the next big thing, a lightning bolt in this movie. She's so funny and so charming. Just without even saying and and also boast like spitfire. Like, I don't know how you do both, but she does both. Yes. Yes, she she. You know, I feel like one of the maybe not controversies, but one of the things people will talk about with this movie is just like. What did she see in him at the beginning? You know, like what. You know, once you get wrapped up with somebody, you can sort of understand the complications of trying to keep, even if you don't maybe fully trust them, the people that are closest to you, you almost have to like envelop yourself around He's them. Dumb and, just and like, handsome. This dumb is and all handsome. I have. 
Yeah, it, exactly. And just like I love that she is like, I'm the smart one. This guy's an idiot. Like, let's keep him moving. This is great. Yeah, he's not smart, but but he sure is <laughs> handsome. He's got those blue eyes, the you blue know. Blue eyes. And they there's that great conversation between the sisters where they're at the church and there's a bunch of a bunch of the Native Americans are playing like field hockey and yes. uh, uh, Leo and some of the other boys are watching and cheering them on and they're having a conversation. They're like, "Oh, he wants our money," yeah. but like, who can blame him? Everyone yeah. wants money. <laughs> She's know? like, and, "Of course he does. I love that. <laughs> yeah, everyone. I like money. He likes money. He's cute yeah. and charming. And it's like we just got to keep him on a leash. But I think there's a bit of of novelty to the white men um, that they that that they find um, a bit of a bit of difference there. And they're also very persistent. That's the thing about Leo. He is very persistent, and he does have when, when he wants to ch- turn on just the even if it's not a, a classically handsome charm. There is a Hey, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Kind of charm that, you know, I, it's, it's irresistible. And he doesn't really. He also tells Molly that he likes money too. He doesn't really yeah. hide that piece of his personality from her or anyone. He is, I think, uh, while in many ways dishonest, he shows a lot of himself to her more than you may expect. Yeah. I think she feels that. Yeah, totally. Um, The, the scene, the the scene, the 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 picture that we saw for two years yes. leading up to this movie. Yes. So let's so, talk about so that scene. They meet. They meet. He drives her around a bunch. She gives him a hat eventually, and then invites him in for dinner. Her mom's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe she's brought this white man here," and kind of just yeah. goes off by herself. And then they just like have dinner, and they have this uh, again weirdly honest conversation that ends with a storm coming in. And Molly's saying, no, we need to put put the whiskey down, put the cigarette down. We need to respect the storm and we need to be silent and we need to appreciate this. And just for 15 seconds, you know, you see that now infamous image that was everywhere on Twitter for two years as our only proof that this movie was real, basically. The only production still we had of them just at the dinner table. Molly, you know, and she's again, the outfits in this movie, the 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 blankets and everything they have. And she's got her blanket just sitting peacefully and Ernest has that frown on his face that he can't quite shake, kind of looking around a little bit uncomfortable. And it's crazy how much that distills their entire relationship and how much that wasn't ruined by that picture being everywhere for two years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's bounce a little bit further ahead because we yes. kind of do that in the movie, right? Yeah. Uh, they they get married. Incredible, incredible sequence. Uh, Evan. Quickly talk to us about what you was your favorite part about the marriage uh, sequence. Yeah. So first of all, the marriage again. This is like this is like you know, close to the opening of The Godfather or something like that. Like this this huge raucous scene. There's like probably what at least two hundred extras in all of these shots. It's amazing. And there's a scene where King Hale is walking towards um, Rita who is Molly, uh, Lily Gladstone's sister, and she's very sick. We've we've found this out. She's married to Jason Isbell, right? She, yeah, she's married to Jason Isbell. Um, she, she's very sick, and he's walking towards her in this crowd, and it's like one of those great, like, it's sort of like a paradox, like paradoxical moments, like you were mentioning before, Chip, where it's like all ecstasy, all celebration, and this guy who we know to be a demon just, like, 
walking through this crowd almost as if he's parting the seas to come up to this woman and it's not very subtle at all like the the you know metaphor involved or the imagery but he stands over her and puts his hands on her shoulders and in another setting if you saw from a different angle it almost looked like he's like strangling her to death um and he he basically you know gives his little um his little talk if there's anything that you need whatever i want to take care of you and it's just like one of the more sinister things that you will ever see and it feels like one of those things that martin scorsese and robert de niro specifically have absolutely perfected at how to direct and act scenes like that like somebody seeming nice but thinking in their head I- i'm only imagining how quickly i'm going to make sure that you're gone from this world yeah i don't it's harrowing uh, oh like, i mean i think like that to me is the part like that about De Niro's performance that I, I love the most is just like how plain it was from the beginning of like all his actions, but then how calculating and like seemingly earnest he is with all of these people. And and I think the wedding scene is a great indication of that. Is there any, anything else that stands out for you, Chip? It's just wild you know, it's such a smart choice to, and it's a smart choice because it's really, really happened, but he knows the language. Mm-hmm. He knows the prayers. He knows the the recitations and the traditions. He is so ingrained into their mix. He has done the work. He, you know, this is a movie about evil dumbasses in a lot of ways, but King Hale is, is in some ways a dumbass, but has genuinely done the work to make himself appear um, as such a kind man, he is, he is the true, there's a lot of wolves in this movie. The, the, can you spot the mm-hmm. wolves in this picture? Um, he is the wolf who has most purely put on that sheep's clothing and really disguised himself. And it's mm-hmm. very terrifying. It's, it's such a terrifying thing to be like this person, you know, someone may claim to be an ally. Someone may claim to be on your side, may have gone through all of the work to prove that, um, but they are still an outsider and they may still not have your best interests at heart. And in, in a world that uh, faces those kind of issues, I think still every day, I think that's a pretty compelling point that Scorsese made. Yes. And he's arrogant, right? Like all the other guys are purely stupid and arrogant and, and and careless and, you know, thoughtless, but his true downfall is his arrogance. Like he thinks he's so well cloaked that, he can just start eating the sheep in front of all the other sheep, mm-hmm. you know, while he's wearing that sheep's clothing and, and that, you know, all it takes is, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, do you think Scorsese thinks that some allies today who pride themselves on being allies might be ignorant? I don't know. I think might be arrogant. I don't know. I, think, I definitely think he thinks that they should have some guilt. You know, we should also, we, and now Jed, I want you to jump way ahead so we can start getting into the, the, the nitty gritty, but we kind of forgot to mention after that initial conversation, there's also an unbelievable montage of dead Osage with mm-hmm. a voiceover from Lily Gladstone talking about none of them having um, uh, trials, no trials, trials yeah. or, or investigations. And it, it includes one of the most like disturbing murders you'll like ever see in a movie with with a mother being shot basically on her front porch. Yeah. Um, and her and her baby stolen out of its cradle. I mean, if like if the whole movie isn't in that three second scene, it's and yeah. and the gun comes from inside the house. The shot comes, comes from, from inside, inside the, house. the house. I mean, come it on, it does. And, and it does. Yes. But I just wanted to mention because that's when the movie to me I was like 
holy shit, this is going to be a tough watch, which it yes. is. We haven't and quite then, And then it continues because yeah. Rita dies. Yeah. And then, dies. Anna, and then dies, Anna dies and Lizzie Q, the mother, dies. Yes. And absolute just just devastation is really starting to set in because it's become a lot more real i think um because it's it rita has the wasting illness but um and and lizzie of course kind of just dies from old age as well but you start to get actual murders with charlie whitehorn and and anna specifically it's like oh these these are genuinely murders in combination with all these other slightly suspicious deaths yeah um god there's one sequence i want to talk about but i don't think we're quite there yet what what's the next thing on your mind, Evan? Jumping um, way ahead. What's the next thing? Okay, so before we jump too far, because it's kind of right in the middle of all these people dying, there is this incredible sequence with an owl um, oh, coming to Lizzie yeah. Q, who is the the mother of these three girls who are kind of the main family that that we're following within uh, the Osage tribe, and she ends up telling us uh, us as the audience, she's telling her daughter that. Um, you know, the Osage believe that you see an owl and that and and seeing an owl basically means that you're going to be shepherded to the other side, to to death and to whatever, you know, the the next step in, um, you know, afterlife uh, is going to bring you. And there's just an unbelievable sequence with like this beautifully rendered CGI owl that or maybe it was a real owl. No, it that's a real very, owl. Right? A very real. Yeah. Owl. OK, very real. real owl beautiful scene hops into the window it's so arresting it kind of takes you out of the movie in a way because the movie has been pretty grounded in reality to that point and then there's also another amazing scene when she actually dies and is shepherded by other people at that point to the other side i just thought those the kind of spiritual elements are really interesting that and owl i think go ahead uh, that owl was not only real that owl was uh, a representative uh, in the SAG after negotiations, hell yeah, uh, you know, was was huge and talent in winning, sharpeners, yeah, in, in winning in the, the writer, session. yeah, a hundred percent. Anyway, Chip, what were you saying? Uh, fuck. Oh, I was just gonna say uh, the the fact that Scorsese doesn't treat the owl as being like incredibly surreal or completely imagined, as right. well as when 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 Lizzie Q dies and is escorted to the afterlife by her ancestors. He shoots that in a very real way and in not Mm -hmm. an imagined way. He's not like, ah, this is what these people think and believe. He's like, no, this is what happened. You know, and I think that there's a lot of respect that he is giving to the traditions there in not um, casting it off or treating it as dreamlike, but treating it as as very real as a conversation between Ernest and Molly. You know, I think that was a great choice. Good pull. I think jumping forward a little bit, um, moment that really stands out to me is kind of once everyone's moved into town, uh, once clearly there's a plot uh, to it's kind of when like I think like when things really start to kick up is when the the plot to kill Bill Smith yes. and uh, and the other what's the other sister's name? Minnie. So Minnie. Yeah. Yes. So that scene between Bill Smith and Ernest in the parlor room of Bill and Minnie's house. Um, yes. Yeah. It's just absolutely insane. And. I gotta say, shout out to my boy Jason Isbell, uh, and one of my favorite artists. Uh, absolutely amazing that he is amazing in this, and he's so good, and, so good. And he just talks like that's the way he talks. If anyone wants, like he kind of speaks in that in that kind of honeysuckle drawl, you know, a little bit. It's not quite a lisp. I don't even know what it is. It's like the sound is coming out of his cheeks. Not no, out. Of- he has the world's smallest mouth. 
Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, regardless, that scene is just so good. Yeah. When they're, I just, I just don't like talking to you. It I makes like me uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and and Bill's just kind of calling Ernest and his uncle out on the carpet. Uh, you yeah. know, and, and kind of knowing exactly exactly what's what. I, I yeah. thought it was incredible. I thought it was just such a a needed. It was a. It was the perfect like. Up to that point, all these things that these guys are like doing and plotting are kind of unchecked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unchecked, unchallenged, roaming through our lands. And the I've been, you know, I've been reading Lord of the Rings, guys. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it just nothing is really like challenged whatsoever. And right. it's Bill Smith's the first person to be like, no, hold the fuck up. Like yeah. I know what's going on here. Would you like a drink? That was so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think and I would. Why like would you drink. offer me a drink if you weren't going to give me one? <laughs> I, I just have to say, this movie is unexpectedly funny. And it's great because you it's can't pitch funny. it as a funny movie. Right. You can't tell your friends, oh, it's like really sad, but it's yeah. uh, it's good for some laughs. But, dude, you can. there were some genuine chuckles every time yeah. in my theater for like that scene and for – shit um like there there's some good last ones with some sergio simpson lines and uh uh oh to talk it right uh yeah and uh uh kelsey um oh um can't wait are you talking about cancel me cancel me i'm talking about cancel me yeah the very tall guy who wants to kill his kids for the birthright and you chuckle at him but you're also like oh jesus christ but he's got some funny lines too anyway anyway Um, it's a funny movie weirdly enough even Bill Smith, when when he's first, when we first find out he's with Minnie, you know, and they meet him, and he's like, Minnie was a comfort to me during Rita's death, and you're just like, oh god, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, uh, that scene to me like knocked the socks off, and then the scene of like the night of the oh, actual yeah. explosion, Jesus Christ, and just like w- running through the wreckage, and yeah, but, I mean, yeah, Bill Smith literally yelling, shoot me, god damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh man and to see and to see Minnie like peacefully on her back right and then they, and lift, then they her lift her up and just her head is it's it's again it's just like just this evil that light has has rooted underneath this community right mm-hmm. it's fucking and then and then molly weeping you know it's very you know the 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 way that the osage you know weep for those that they have lost it is very it is very loud right there's mul- there's a scene where the sisters are all crying after they've lost their mother and they're yeah they're they're wailing and they're singing and they're crying and praying and then to see just all of that crash over her when she realizes yet another sister has died and i think at that point all of her sisters are dead and her mother it's just molly left at that point yeah and for it not to be a you know hollywood ish dramatic cry for it to be a, a raw and historically founded cry i think and an authentic cry is just man it it, it hurts in the movie theater yeah it's especially horrifying. when you know and her kids are right there and her kids like, are right there and like literally she's getting the news from the man who made the order like that's yes. the hardest part and like yes his ability like Ernest's ability to act really you know to to like, yes. but it's funny because like what you get, at least what I, I what I'm getting from him in that those moments is like whenever something truly terrible happens, it's like there is this genuine like shock horror that he's going through that allows him like he's a bumbling idiot, right? Like 
he genuinely was like, holy shit, I had no fucking clue. Like, that's what that was going to be. You know, like when when it's like it's all in theory until you see your sister-in-law's brains on the floor. Right. Like until you see an entire house like taking out a whole block and he's just he's shocked and he's like, no, they didn't make it. And yeah, it, it's just that sequence to me is just so, so harrowing. Uh, everything about it. Correct me. Though, I mean, those scenes are like the scariest thing. The other scene that comes to mind similarly is when King Hale's friend Henry, uh, when when yeah. King and Ernest have Henry killed, there's like a crazy 10 minute sequence, you know, with uh, what's his name, Bill or whatever, um, like befriending Henry, drinking with him and then ultimately killing him. And when he delivers the news to Molly, there's just a super tense scene and it almost becomes like a, a mirror of the scene that happens at the end of the movie when she asks, you know, yeah. what, what else were you, or what were you putting in my shots? Um, where he's just staring at her and it's just so quiet. There's no hustle and bustle. There's no if ands, or buts about it. Right. It's like this man and, has participated in murdering her friend and it's or a her callback. family member and has, has is directly facing and the, her. And the way he's able to just say like, I don't know. And, and she's both- like, was he killed? Yeah. They're both callbacks to that first conversation when he's like, they don't talk too much. Like, you're going to feel like yeah. you need to fill up the space. Don't do it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's just. Yeah. yeah. Gnarly. I mean, it's um, like that's like the most horrifying thing you can possibly imagine. I mean, you know, natural disasters, um, you know, car accidents, like murders, even like all this stuff, like imagining it literally coming from inside the house. Like you're talking about Chip with that gun. Like, you know, it's like that is the craziest thing that's why molly is there the whole time right because it's like our minds are not even capable of going that far it's like one step too far to fully accept the fact that it is your own husband who is orchestrating this terror like it's 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 not even like she's being ignorant of the fact it's more like it's like we as humans literally cannot go to that place to understand that it's so wild too when Sturgill Simpson's character Henry uh, Roland, but the the, the steer, yeah, guy. yeah, when they're when they're like Henry Grammer, yeah. yes, yeah, they they roll back into town and he's like, mm, too much dynamite, yeah, yeah. Too much <laughs> yeah. Dynamite. it's so casual, and they roll up and the the other guy, the uh, I don't even the know. sheriff, the the sheriff, no, not not the sheriff, oh, he's not no, the sheriff, uh, he's the, the guy who's in charge guy. of Molly's money, yeah, yeah he's in charge of Molly's call. money. Yes. The, the cashier from No Country for Old Men, yes. our guy, yeah, our, our guy, guy. Um, he's like, I got to shout him. He's like, Bill, you're pronouncing yourself too much. Gene Everyone Jones. knows what's going on. Jim Jones, Gene, Gene Jones. Yes. Yep. He 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 says you're pronouncing yourself too much. Mm-hmm. It's you're being you're being too loud and too obvious that everyone knows. Uh, at least those in the know know what's going on and know that you need to relax and stop blowing up houses in neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's so gnarly. Um, let's keep let's keep rocking and rolling. Yeah, let's hit a couple more big ones. I mean, I think there's a lot of things on the way in, and I think we'll maybe get to them, like get to some moments and some standout performances. So, hit me with some big ones that stand out. We already kind of talked about the final showdown between Molly and Leo. So yeah, we already kind of did. Yeah, basically the two biggest things that come from this point on are Molly gets even more sick with the insulin yeah. and everything goes yeah. on there, and then uh, Tom that White for, comes down. 
So that yeah. for me was the hardest thing to watch. Like Molly getting John. more like when they are in, you know, injecting her and especially because yeah. she already has the distrust of the doctors and then yes. them basically getting to him. And that for me is where like the shoe officially drops because they think and I don't know if it'd be it'd be interesting to watch this a second time and I I'd be interested to know it, it, it feels to me up until that point, like you kind of believe that Ernest really does actually love her. You know? And then like even though he's doing all these terrible things, he still does love his wife. But that is like where I like I draw. Like it's just so that is like the one of the gnarliest things ever. It's like again, the the shot coming from inside the house, that is like to the nth degree it's like i don't trust anyone in the world other than this person and that one person in the world that you trust to deliver your life-saving medicine is actually poisoning you slowly yeah, yeah. i mean and he's he he clearly is has some reservation or guilt about it but he still does it mm-hmm. you know he lets king talk him into it he doesn't fight back he at That's the end, the he too. he drops a couple of drops into his own whiskey glass, but he still puts some into her shot as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he he does it. He really doesn't fight the. You know, he's got the line where he's talking to. I think he's talking to Blackie Thompson, and he says, "I love money damn near as much as I love my wife." And it's like, I don't know if you've got the the ratio correct there. I think that you are lying to yourself if you think that the love of wife outweighs the love of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and also that is in a scene in which he is talking to a man who he set up to rob his sister-in-law's grave after he, they had correct, this, correct his and, sister-in-law murdered. And, he's and pitching, then and then he's pitching yes. initially the Bill and Rita murder there before he yes. ends up giving it to AC Kirby later on. Yes, um, it, you know maybe my favorite s- sequence of the movie it, we can mention before we talk maybe like a little Plemons and then get out is. Um, the sequence that you just mentioned where he puts the the drops in his his own glass and it's cutting back and forth between the conversation between Plemons and the rest of the FBI mm-hmm. agents. Yeah. Um, him, you know, clearly going into like whatever type of like, uh, um, you know, substance uh, induced haze that he's going into that he's been put, putting Molly into at, you know, the nth degree every single day. Um, and. King Hale trying to to commit the insurance fraud with the fire and and having oh, all those man. guys out there burning all the crops. I mean, it's like I don't, that's probably I, the most like out there um uh, like dreamlike sequence of the movie, and it just felt like the whole. I mean, it was almost like claustrophobic watching it, and like I watched it in IMAX, I was almost like getting it's a little all, like heavy chest watching it. You know, it's also when I distinctly remember having to pee and panicking and being like. I can't pee right now. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Um, and the music is just boom, boom. By the way, I, I just got to say, like, there's a lot of amazing moments, and this might be a little bit hyperbole, but I think maybe my favorite, like, just, like, single moment of the entire movie is when Tatanka Means just rolls out to the meeting of all the FBI agents. I'm like, I knew it! I fucking knew it! <laughs> you know? And that man, I think I texted it to in the group. That man has... has swag to fill an IMAX screen. It is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. the, He's just so hot. The presence that he has uh with his with his braids and like just strutting around. I was just like blown away. I was like this man is fucking an enigma. I I yeah. could not take my eyes off him the entire time when he goes to arrest the guy that kills that killed John to I'm taking you in, you know, like he just 
he's got it, man. I, I don't I need more I need more Tatanka means vehicles. Like please. Yes. Need, like he's so good. It showed how dumb the white people were that they didn't like recognize that. It would be like Oceans Eleven Brad Pitt rolling up into town and being like, I heard my cousins are here. You'd be like, Yeah, you're up to some fucking shit, yeah. dude. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you are not so here funny. just looking for long lost family like you're the coolest man i've ever seen in my life evan yeah. can you give me 30 seconds on the shot the, the silhouetted shots of the workers in the fire it, this is like those like impressionistic like hazy yes. like, like you're looking through a desert yeah what to, i don't do I, do i'm in shock about that still to be honest i'd love to shout out our guy rodrigo prieto I think on this podcast, with without us necessarily mentioning his name all the time, he's right up there with Deacons for being like our favorite cinematographer. If you go through his credits, I mean, he's worked with Scorsese a bunch, Wolf of Wall Street, a bunch of his more recent movies. Uh, Silence, he's also done um, Brokeback Mountain. He's also done 25th Hour. He's worked with Spike Lee a little bit. Like this guy is like top, top of the class. I wish I could give you some sort of even like half-ass rundown on it. I have literally no idea how you make an image look that way. And I truly believe that they're doing a lot of it in camera as well. Like I, I'm sure that they're adding some of the squiggles and stuff and, and blurring the the color, you know, afterwards um, when they're doing grading and things like that. But it perfect representation. And I really don't know how they made an image look like that, especially one that far away. You know, yeah. I know when you can get up really close to a light source, it's a lot easier to create like, you know, distortion like that in the frame, but doing it from that far away, being able to see individual figures, but then also see like the fire turning into what ends up almost being like huge, like balls of fire. Um, yeah. it, it's like, it's, I, I don't know either. Cause it, it feels almost like very zoomed in from far away. Exactly. There's, a, there's yeah. actually, there's a bunch of like insert shots of like oil in the movie. Um, just just randomly, there'll be like a three second shot of just guys covered head to toe in oil or yeah. an oil well or an oil burst. And then it just cuts another scene. And it, it doesn't it's it's these shots that are just purely invoking emotion and kind of reminding you of why we're here um, that I think are sprinkled in so well. Anyway, we we, we, we yeah. got a Clemens time. Uh, yeah, let's do Clemens. And then let's talk about the Very like the actual outro scene. Yeah. yeah. And then. Yeah. Let's get a dodge. Uh, courtroom. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. I'm here to see about the murders. Yeah. What about I mean, that, who's doing them? That, by the way, I I, well, I normally hate when you see, like, trailer shots. That, like, yeah. lived up to the hype. Uh, it, 100,000%. It's the greatest <laughs> line readings back and forth ever. Uh, well, here to see who's doing them. Yeah, I mean, he's just – he's – He's so good. Uh, he's so menacing and so in control. Like, that's the thing I thought, like, I felt like the entire time. He's just like. Also, like, like one of the funniest men in the world. Am I crazy for just thinking that everything he says is fucking like in Power of the Dog when he's like, do you think you could uh, wash yourself? You know, like just the way he like delivers lines is so good. He's perfectly awkward. You know, he's like yeah, the most yeah. perfectly awkward person. Uh, this like, even the way he's like, he he's like. Are you gonna testify for us? And then <laughs> he's like, no, and he goes, oh, all right. And he like, you know, starts cuffing him up. Yeah. Uh, dude, it's just, yeah, it's so. Yeah, it's he's he's just again, he's incredible, a perfect addition, like kind of exactly the role for him. Yeah. 
his conversation with De Niro in the half barbershop, half billiards hall oh. is so good, too. When he's like, well, you're going to have to go talk to the sheriff about that. He's like, yeah, talk to him. He wasn't able to tell me too much. So he's like, <laughs> you have uh, to go talk told... to the, the doctors. Yeah, talk to them, too. They told me to come talk to you. Like, Yeah. So funny, man. Um, it's it's really funny. And then when they're when they've got when they've got DiCaprio and he's like, can I see it? He's like, yeah, staying is good. Yeah, and I know I don't think good. it was I don't think it was Plemons who said that. Um, I think it was my guy. What's his name? Pat. Um, Evan, do you know who I'm talking about? I think his name is Pat, one of the FBI agents. He's been in a he's been in a lot of like Pat Healy. Pat Healy. Pat Healy. Yes. He's been in like a lot of scummy roles. So for Dude, him he was to in be the FBI agent is was really fantastic. He's like, no, Stanton's good. Yeah. Um, that whole scene was great. That whole scene that was, was absolutely with the All flies right. buzzing around. Let's mm-hmm. talk about let's talk about I think the thing the one thing we're gonna disagree on uh, most okay. in this movie. I need to speak to my client. I need to speak. I have not gotten a chance. I, this man has been missing for two months. I two months. I was it. not. I was not a big fan of Brendan Fraser in this movie. So wrong. But, so wrong. <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> he's a southern. He's a fat southern lawyer, and he and Lithgow are place. both going ham sandwich. In I don't know. Movie. I Lith, Lithgow seems to have like a little bit more handle on this situation. Like, it just feels like Brendan Fraser is like screaming with reckless abandon. Like, it just. So here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. So like, let's think about who Brendan Fraser is in this movie because. I don't, I, don't, no, 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 you're not. No, gonna, but let's think about who he is. No, this I, man. <laughs> Is, I get it. He's a basically he's a mob lawyer, right? He's the he's lawyer. He's a demon clown. Yeah, he's I an know. Chasing demon clown. Okay, no, Jet, Jet, Jet. Have you seen the uh, the great American film, the B movie? Of course, yeah. So you know the the lawyer in the B movie at the end, who like rides around the little baby uh, carriage and gets stung at the end. Familiar. And he's like he's doing the New Orleans thing and batting his his forehead with a napkin. That's that's the same role. Yeah, but that's what I'm. Uh, thank you. You confirmed my point. I don't. I don't think that like B movie lawyer is necessarily like fit in really well. Completely. You disagree. might be right, though. I will say, and I am the son okay. of a lawyer. My father's a lawyer. I don't think Martin Scorsese thinks too highly of attorneys, especially attorneys in this situation. Sure. So Defense I think that attorneys, is by yeah. design, because even Lithgow comes across as like way too no, like uh, kind of out of control no, in i i agree with you i'm not saying i'm not i'm not talking about, about the second scene talk to second, us about that second scene much better they beat you yeah no, they beat you no like, again again i think there is something about <laughs> just the immediate doors open oh, my son, my son. i was like all right i don't need that in my life right now like it was just you know, and it, it might not even be his fault, but I, there's just <laughs> something about it that really just didn't uh, I didn't like. And I and even in the second scene, it just felt like he was just like a quarter turn too too far on the dial, in my personal opinion. Did you but see let's what says he said about him? No, he's like, Brendan is amazing. His girth just fills the screen. <laughs> Baby. Also. I think I'm the only one here who's seen The Whale, which is probably a good thing. But <laughs> if you guys had seen The Whale, if you had seen the last scene in The Whale and then saw his entrance into this movie, the symmetry oh, yeah. is 
so incredible. I like literally can't even describe to you how happy it made me. Yeah, I think I oh. saw that on Twitter. Um, I, I saw right. the ending to the movie on Twitter. Okay, uh, the the thing in the courtroom. Um, oh yeah. When DiCaprio. Okay, so so DiCaprio's court. daughter dies. Yeah. He yes. he has a change of heart. Then he has the change of heart back. Right. Mm-hmm. And DiCaprio comes to testify. This is the moment I was talking about. I don't know if mm. I've ever seen DiCaprio act better than when the camera's on him for about 180 seconds, about three minutes straight. He doesn't say anything more than yes, sir. So he basically he might say, yes, I'm, that's my wife, Molly, or something like that. He has about six words that he repeats. I just yes, I don't know how you do that. I have no idea how you sit that still, carry that much, that much pain and that much guilt while still being a total slime ball and not breaking once that that mm-hmm. blew me away both times it, uh, that that to me is just such a flex that i don't think i've ever seen dicaprio do because it feels like he's just getting stomped on you know yeah. even more so than maybe jordan belford at the end of wolf of wall street or something like that yeah and he, he also Great he also there. points to the stand and i was like okay hey henry hill pointing do you see the Let man the record point? reflect Can you point him out yeah. 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 Great. Great pull. I mean, it's so, and and he's still playing Ernest, who like intellectually is challenged in a situation like this. So the way he even, even though he's only saying like one word answers, the way he kind of like has to think through each one, even when it's a simple question, like, mm-hmm. is this your wife? You know, like he's like, yes, sir. Like you know, it's like the, that little pause is like such a good character touch. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, spectacular. No notes. Uh, let's talk about the outro scene because this to me is like what really blew me away. I mean, like, again, again, the whole movie is like blew me away. But, but yeah, this summation of a nineteen what was probably nineteen fifties, maybe early nineteen sixties, like a true crime radio show. Mm-hmm. Jack White. Yeah. And then Marty himself mm-hmm. delivering the final statement. There was no mention of the murders. Mm. Just fucking. Oh, man. That was another one that it hit was, me hard. Like, it, but it's the. Oh, it's, what, it's, it's what you talked about in the very beginning. It's that was this man standing up and being like, I am. A, I am a historian of the underbelly of America. Like that is kind of like what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Was him taking the opportunity to, to. Yeah. It, it felt like he's like, I'm now reading it into the record, but like everything about this can never be forgiven. Like to the very, very end, we could tell the story a thousand times and it will never make up for the fact that, like, in the moment, everyone got everything wrong. Yeah. You know, like, e- even after, like, quote unquote, justice was served or whatever, there was just like, you know, we saw how things went. <laughs> like, we, like that that show in 1960 might as well have been taking place in a theater in the town that we just watched the movie in, right? Like there was no, there was no, there was nothing given back. Only, only more taken, but yeah. 
Oh my god. Yeah. It's uh, were you guys stunned by that? Like I was stunned, yeah. stunned yeah, when he away. walked onto the screen. Yes. Away, so it was. I, oh, go ahead. I kind of had that spoiled for me. I heard that there was a, a grand cameo at the end of the movie, mm. and part of me was like, "Okay, Scorsese's done some cameos before. I wonder if it's some." Never could I have imagined the context for it, um, but I did kind of have an idea that that he might show up in some way or another. Um, it just was like, I ju- I think that scene alone, you could just write like five thousand words on it because not only is the true crime aspect, the true crime you can. Is Scorsese saying something about fucking true crime podcasts, mm-hmm. right? And the true crime era that we're in. It, they make a point to say this show is brought to you by Lucky Strike and by yeah. J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI. So not only we're we talking propaganda, we're talking product placement. We're talking about just the entertainment aspect of all of this as well, right? Because for so long, Scorsese has made movies that are about violence and are about the violent men, the violent white men of the world. In, in this country specifically, right? And so for so long, he's been dogged by these questions of, are you glamorizing, are you valorizing these people? Um, and is the act of making a movie about them enough to, does, does that by definition glamorize them if there's just a movie about them, period, right? And I think that he's turning the spotlight on himself and saying, this is all I know how to do. Mm-hmm. This is all I can do. I make movies. I make I make pictures, as he would probably say. And he would say, I make pictures about these people and about what they've done and the ways that the, they may or may not feel guilt because of that and how I feel guilt about things in my life because of this or that, right? Mm-hmm. And he's not absolving himself. I think he's kind of he, – he's, he's maybe – I don't know. Again, I, I feel like there's there's even contradictions even within this scene of what Scorsese, what statement he's making about himself. Because he's not really washing his hands of it, but he is, I think, putting his hand up and saying, yes, I have done this. And I have made entertainment of this. And I want to talk about there not being mention of the real murders. Like, that's the final word he wants to yeah. say. Right. There's, oh, man, I, I feel like I'm not speaking elegantly enough about no, just incredible you're this. You're so right, though. Like, that is Catholic guilt. To a T, right? Like, standing up in front of a priest, or in this case, his his priest, which is us, right? Like, the, the audience, audience is yeah. his, is like, and confessing, but what does that mean? Yeah. Like, does it mean you didn't do bad? Does it mean you're now good going forward? Does it mean you're in good standing with the with the people that you've hurt? Does it mean that it's up to interpretation? You know, it's like, that is the or, whole thing. Or does all it mean and all that matters is that he has cleared his conscience to us? Or is it that? It, I get the sense that that Martin Scorsese does not feel he has a clean conscience. But, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't, but he's come back to this now for like 50 years. So it kind of makes me think that. He, well, uh, I mean, you think about it, can, right? It, it, it almost needs to grapple with it. It almost feels like he's like consistently made movies about these awful people in an effort to like showcase like the horror of greed and the horror of violence. And people celebrate him for almost the wrong parts of his movies. And he's like, never mind, they're going to get it the next time. Nope, you know what? They're going to get it the next time. Um, I mean, think about it the, the entire generation of people, kids. On Wall Street now, I mean, I'd say kids, they're our age, that grew up and Wolf of Wall Street was like a celebration mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. greed and of like ingenuity yeah, rather than a cautionary tale. 
Yeah. Um, he's got to have guilt for yeah. that. People, people, I've heard of like sales teams who like put the Strat and Oakmont logo up like in their office as like their calling card, you know, like that. Yeah, it's been misinterpreted mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. And, and, uh, and yeah, maybe, maybe some guilt can be, can be applied because look, there is a history of a lot of dumb, stupid people in this country misinterpreting yeah. things and, and and taking advantage of things or seeing things from their perspective and and their perspective only. And so if you feed into that, I don't know. I can but, understand having guilt. I don't yeah. think it's his fault, but I can understand having guilt. And I also think that he's too much of a, a, a capital A artist to want to show up at the end of the movie and just look into the camera and say, this was a bad person. And you yeah. should not, and la 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 la. He wants to do it in an artistic way, in an interesting way, in a way that maybe speaks to him on a different level, and he thinks that will last, right? Yeah. And can say it, more than one thing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. man. And I mean, he had a scene where he had a character look at a human being and say, "That's twenty five thousand dollars right there." You know, Jeez. like he he's doing his best in this movie. I mean. The most heartbreaking scene of the movie, the the scene that the second time I saw this movie, I was like, thought I might have to leave the theater, is when Molly puts the um, puts the pillow under Byron's head after Byron mm. participates in Anna's murder, and you end up finding out like that was the night that he committed the murder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and she slides the pillow under his head when he gets home and goes to bed in her home. Uh, we should, you know, like the. He's doing the, his best. The banality of evil is a phrase that's been used a lot by yeah. Scorsese, by De Niro about this movie. It's been used about another movie later in the year. Um, it is it is everywhere. Yeah. All right. Let's give this a grade and let's get out of here. I, I mean, feel I think very down right now. I am just like fuck. <laughs> the way I felt leaving the movie, I was like, holy shit, Jesus. It's um, the firm, it's the firmest A ever for me. Like no yeah. question. I'll go A plus. I'm going, going A+, plus, and I, I don't... No qualms about that. Yeah, I'm going A+, plus, and I'll also throw out that I think Lily Gladstone should, like, run away with Best the Oscar. Actors. Yeah. Easily. Easily. It's not a competition. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you there. Well, thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Flicking and Scream, on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Join the conversation at FlickingAndScreaming.com, where there are blogs. Go read them. Uh... Yes parting thoughts uh this is uh, just another marty scorsese masterpiece anything else gentlemen They're just we got to cherish these moments man cherish them i don't know i i'm really excited to talk about the best movies of the year come me january too. me too me i too. actually i'm i think it's been a good year um the the, the top the top movies are outstanding yeah. mm-hmm. all right for fucking screaming jed sprague jt chipman and Vigundis. have a good one, everybody see ya see ya and now, the starting lineup for your Tasters. What's up, guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.